Welcome to this podcast in which I want to discuss a question on the problem of evil, critically assess whether it's possible to defend monotheism in the face of the existence of evil. And this is a question about theodicy, that is an attempt to justify God's existence in the face of the evidence of suffering and evil in the world. And a theodicy attempts to show that God's existence remains a possibility given his traditional characteristics of absolute goodness, absolute power, perfect knowledge and complete love for humankind. And we need to distinguish between both moral and natural evil. As Alvin Plantinga comments, a theodicy is an answer to the problem of why God permits evil. So we need to outline the problem and we need to explain two views, particularly that have been prevalent in the history of Christianity. That is the view of Augustine, Augustine's theodicy, which is sometimes called the free will defence which can be linked and then traced through to Thomas Aquinas in Catholic thought and John Calvin, for example, in Protestant theology, to people that we might need to discuss and consider as well. And this is the view that creation is created perfect and human beings are created perfect at the pinnacle of this creation without sin. And Augustine's view is that evil exists as a privation, he says, and it has, I quote, no positive nature, but the loss of good has received the name evil. That's a quote from Augustine's Confessions. And Augustine says that just as darkness has no reality in itself, it is simply the absence of light. So evil has no meaning independent of good. It's simply the absence of good. So how does it enter the world? Well, if you read the account in Genesis, what Augustine argues is that both moral evil, that is, evil as a result of human choice and free will, and natural evil, that is, tsunamis, coronaviruses, earthquakes, and so on, can be attributed to the fall of humankind. So moral evil enters the world through Adam's sin in taking the apple presented to him by Eve, and then it becomes transmitted seminally to all human beings, that is, through the loins of Adam, so that all of us are infected by original sin. And the consequences, if we read Genesis 3, include pain in childbirth for the woman, the distortion of sexual feelings by lust, and the dominance of man over woman. And in the question of natural evil, we see weeds begin to grow in the garden, and man has to toil as nature itself is distorted by the fall. Now, in contrast to this, we need to outline Hicks theodicy, which is a development of 
Irenaeus, and Hick took the view that suffering was necessary because it exists in what he calls a veil, B-A-L-E, of soul-making. And it's part of the fact that we are created at an epistemic distance from God, a knowledge gap between what we understand about the infinitely good God and what we experience in human consciousness. And Hick, taking up Irenaean theodicy, argues that Genesis 3 cannot be seen as a valid interpretation of the origins of evil. In the light of evolution, in the light of the fact that we understand, according to Hick, that Genesis is a myth, and also in the light of our understanding of the character of God as absolutely good. Hick therefore concludes, I quote, the creature's fall is either impossible or else so very possible as to be excusable. That's a quote from Eva and the God of Love, page 280. So in our answers, we need to give some substance to these two theodicies of Augustine and Hick and to outline how they attempt to resolve the challenges raised by the evidential problem of evil and suffering. That is Augustine by blaming moral and natural evil on human choice and Hick by arguing that suffering is necessary for the creation of moral character. Now in our evaluation we need to look at some of the weaknesses in these arguments. For example, J.L. Mackey points out of Augustine's Theodicy, he asks this question, why could God not have made men so that they freely choose good? asks J.L. Mackey. Secondly, it doesn't appear just that all human beings have been infected by sin via the loins of Adam that a small baby newly born is just as guilty of sin as a mass murderer. It doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem just. And thirdly, it seems implausible to attribute viruses, tsunamis, famines, earthquakes to human free will back in the sin of Adam and Eve. Aren't these things, as David Hume suggests, evidence rather more of a malevolent designer, if there is any designer at all. And we need to look at some of the criticisms of Hick's theodicy, including the problems raised by God's knowledge that human beings suffer even when they are innocent. David Kramer makes this comment about Hick. In contrast to the Augustinian type of theodicy that looks backwards to a remote point of perfection in human history, Hick's theodicy is decidedly eschatological. It looks forward to future perfection in God's heavenly kingdom. The world is created as this veil of soul-making. And so we are like children maturing into perfection. According to Hick, it's an ethically reasonable judgment, I quote. It's an ethically reasonable judgment that human goodness slowly built up through personal histories of moral effort 
and has value in the eyes of the Creator, which justifies even the long travail of soul-making process. That's Evil and the God of Love, page 256. Now, there seem to be two important problems with this, which you might like to discuss and elaborate and develop. The first is that Hicks seems to deny the possibility of absolute evil. Defined by David Griffin in a book called God, Power and Evil in 1976 as the kind of evil from which no good can come. This does exist, for example, in the example of the Holocaust, but also with natural evil in the example that an entire family that I read of the other day was killed by the coronavirus. How can that be? fair on one level. So it, begin, it, it, it uh, takes us to the second problem, not just that evil sometimes seems to be absolute, that no good comes from it, but secondly, that it seems to be unjust in the way suffering is distributed in the world. To say that all suffering will be shown one day to have instrumental good could possibly be argued to be empirically false, but also even if it's not empirically false, it seems to rely again on an eschatological hope that one day this mystery, that there seems to be absolute evil in the world, will be explained and that sometime God will put everything right. Now, we need to evaluate in our answer, in our thesis statement, we need to come up with a strong statement about whether the presence of evil in the world, both natural and moral, actually seems to suggest that God does not exist. Or whether suffering can work within a monotheistic worldview, that's the view that there is one true God with these three characteristics of omnibenevolence, omnipotence and omniscience, and Christians also tend to justify suffering in certain ways from the Bible, for example, in arguing that human suffering has been entered into by God through Jesus Christ in his life and death. We're going to need a strong conclusion on this question. We need to have justifications for our view if we're going to argue that God's existence can be reconciled with the evidence of evil. And we need to consider whether the example, for example, uh, of Hicks' theodicy seems to walk a tightrope, which we need to decide whether ultimately it works or whether it diminishes God's power or appears to deny God's perfect love. Now you can find some extracts from Hick and some of the other authors that I've mentioned today in extracts on the PepEd website. There's also a detailed, much more detailed uh, handout which explains the theodicy of Augustine and the theodicy of Hick. <laughs>